Well, this morning as we continue in this series called The Journey We've Been in the Last Few Weeks, I want to start off by saying thank you to everyone for answering all of my questions these last four weeks. I'm glad to see the name tags back because my most common question I've been asking is, hey, what's your name? And then if you've met me yet, you probably know the second question I probably asked was, how long have you been a part of Harvest Point? And then probably where are you from? And then if you've been around here a while, I ask more practical questions like, hey, how do you turn the lights on? How do you unlock the doors to the worship center this morning when they're locked when I get here? You know, I've been asking a lot of questions lately, and so I'm thankful to y'all for answering them for me, for helping me along my journey here as the new pastor. And I've always been one to ask questions ever since I was a little kid. Now, I don't know how many of you have taught Sunday school in here or been a student small group leader, but I was the kid you did not want in your class. Because I would raise my hand and I would, I would ask the teacher, hey, what's the difference in Presbyterians, Methodists, and Baptists? What, what are the key differences? And the teachers would be like, um, not exactly sure. I, I would say, what's predestination? Or you just use this word humility. How, how would you define humility? I was that kid you did not want in your class. But thankfully, my, my teachers, my small group leaders, they were all very patient with me. They helped me answer the questions that I had, and I'm, I'm forever grateful for that. But you know, sometimes I feel like now as a pastor, I'm getting payback for all the questions that I asked as a kid. Because you might not know this, but as a pastor, when people find out what your job is, there's generally two reactions. And I've been getting both of them now that I'm in a new area and people ask me what my new job is. And when you tell somebody that you're a pastor, one reaction is that they immediately cease all communication with you and, and treat you like an alien. That's the, first, that's the first response. The second response is instead of running away from you, they run towards you with a million questions. And they're so excited. And so that's a response I get a lot as well. And so, you know, I've had, I've had students come up to me and they're like, oh, you're a pastor. Maybe you'll know this. What was Jesus' favorite food that he ever ate? I'm like, I, I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, people ask you silly questions. One time, a little kid at a church I was serving, he made an appointment with me to meet me in my office without his mother. And he said, Jonathan, I'm going into the fourth grade, and I've just been feeling really spiritually dry lately. What should I do? And I was like, I, uh, honestly, I don't know. I'm just, I just need to pat you on the back for making an appointment and for asking me that question and for knowing what's in your heart. And so, you know, sometimes the questions are silly, they're wild. And one time when I was in seminary, actually, I was at Target on a Saturday night. It was pretty late at night. I had a little basket of groceries. I'm checking out, and the cashier, he says, hey, are you a student? I said, yes, I am a student. He said, do you go to Duke or do you go to Chapel Hill? And I wasn't really in the mood for talking, so I said, I go to Duke. So what are you studying at Duke? I said, theology. He was like, wow, I've always wanted to ask a pastor some questions. And so there he is, you know, there's a line forming behind me at Target, and he's scanning my groceries, and he's like, you know, here's my question. Since you're a pastor, like, I grew up in church, I know the good news of Jesus, but, you know, I don't really believe it anymore, so do you think I'm going to heaven or hell? And I'm like... <laughs> You know, looking around me like, is this really happening right now? And I was like, well, hey, you know, or do you have a break soon? I'd love to sit down and talk with you, you know, about the questions you have. And he said, 
no, nah, never mind. It's not that important. Like, I, I, don't have, I don't have a break anytime soon. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> and then I took my groceries home. It was super awkward. I mean, I just get these interactions with people as a pastor with sometimes silly questions, but then sometimes they're a lot more serious questions. And that guy's question was a serious question. And other people will come to me and they'll say, hey, can I be forgiven for this? How can I forgive someone for doing this to me? How can I continue on in life after experiencing this death of a loved one who meant so much to me? There's lots of questions. And, you know, as your pastor, I just want to affirm people asking questions because questions are an important and an essential part of the journey. And when we're on a journey with God, we're going to have questions, and this should be a place where we can ask them. And I want to be a resource for you as we grow in community together. And this morning, I want to talk with you um, about some, some of the key questions people have. And you know, one of the questions I've been asked before is, what is the most important thing Jesus ever said? You know, people have asked me that, and think about that for a second. For those of you who've been in church a while, what, what would you say? Think about that. And there's a lot of great options, right? There's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There's the great commission. Go into all the world and make disciples. There's the Sermon on the Mount. Luke chapter 4 where Jesus says, The Spirit has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Think about that. And if you have a thought, if you're friends with me on Facebook or you can drop me an email, I'd love to know what you think the most important words Jesus ever said were. But here's the thing. I don't know the most important words Jesus ever said. And I'm not going to promise to know the answer to all of your questions. I don't know the most important words that Jesus ever said, but I do know the last words that Jesus ever said. And the last words of someone are very significant. If you've ever been with someone as they've been passing away, you know this, right? Oftentimes in people's final months, in their final weeks, in their final days, in their final moments before they pass, they they want to, to speak their legacy into existence. They want to give words of wisdom or a charge for the future. That's where we get the phrase famous last words from. And this is a phenomenon throughout history. Throughout history, we see people giving final words of wisdom And there's a whole genre of literature where those words are recorded. And in the Gospels, we have some of these passages as well. In John's Gospel, we have these farewell speeches of Jesus that he gave to his disciples right before he was going to go to the cross and die. But here's the thing. We know those weren't actually the final words of Jesus because after his death, he rose again. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk with you about the final words of Jesus on earth that come to us in the book of Acts right before he ascends into heaven because final words are significant. They have meaning and they have value. And I think Jesus' words give us some significant things this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 1. We're going to begin in verse 3. And it's here we find the final words, and they come in the midst of a great number of questions. Because if you can think of yourself as a disciple of Jesus at that time, think about it. This guy you've just followed for a few years, 
died and rose again, right? I don't know about you, but I would have a lot of questions if that happened to me. And so the disciples have a lot of questions at this point. They're bombarding Jesus, and Jesus is with them. And he says this, beginning in verse 3. After his suffering, that is, after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they, that is the disciples, gathered around him and they asked, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Did you catch the final words? Here, Jesus is with the disciples, and even in these last moments, they're asking questions about the future. What's the kingdom going to look like? How are you going to return? How is all this going to play out? And Jesus, he kind of reminds them to focus on the present, and he gives them the final words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which we have up here for us. He says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now another preacher, a fellow Methodist preacher, Matthew Hartsfield, he helped me see through this passage that here, really, Jesus is answering a lot of questions for us. He's answering a lot of questions we have, and the answer to one of the most common questions that we have as people is answered in this passage, and that question is, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? And in the final words of Jesus, he gives us our first purpose in life. The final words of Jesus give us our first purpose in life. That is one of our primary and overarching purposes as disciples of Jesus Christ and as the church. He gives it to us when he says, you will be my witnesses. That is our purpose, to be witnesses to Jesus Christ and all that he has done. You are to be my witnesses. And a witness is a word we don't, use a lot anymore necessarily. Now it's mainly a legal term, but a witness is simply someone who is showing and telling others what they have seen, what they have heard, or what they have experienced. And, and some of us have baggage with the word witness, but really we witness all the time to all sorts of different things, right? I mean, people will come up to me and they'll say, Jonathan, you got to watch this TV show. It's set in Georgia 
And it's about these people who, it's kind of like the end of the earth, but they've died, but they haven't quite died, but they come back to life, and they got to fight them with swords and sabers, and they're trying to kill them. They're like zombies, but if you don't like zombies, you're going to like this TV show. It's called The Walking Dead. It's amazing. You've got to go home and watch it. Right? Have you ever had somebody witness to you about their favorite TV show? Or how about this? A lot of times we witness to products that we love. We witness the products. Anybody have one of these in here? Anybody have one of these? Okay, they're amazing, right? So I first saw one of these. This is a Yeti mug a few years ago. And somebody, they wouldn't stop talking about it. And it was kind of annoying to me. And they were just saying how wonderful it was. And the Yeti, it's not a cheap, this is not a cheap cup. It's like $25. And I'm thinking, $25 for a coffee mug? Why do I need that? But then they showed me. They showed me that I drink iced coffee and that this will keep ice, honestly, sometimes for days. And if you drink hot coffee, if you put hot coffee in here, it'll keep it hot for a long time. Here's the good news, though. Now you don't even have to get the Yeti brand. They have all the knockoffs because, like, the patent ran out or something. So you can go to Target and get the knockoff. But this thing is amazing because it keeps drinks cold. It keeps drinks hot. I bought this because somebody witnessed to me about this Yeti mug. We are witnesses about so many different things in our lives. And here, Jesus is telling us, be my witnesses. Be a witness to me. Share with other people about my love, about my life. Share with other people about the significance of my death and that there is forgiveness because of it and that there's resurrection. He's telling the disciples, look, you've seen me. You've heard me. You've experienced this new life. Now go and share it with others. And when others experience it, they're to go and share it with others as well. That's part of our purpose. That is one of our key missions as the church, to go show and tell others about the love of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, if you think about this, you're here today because someone was a witness to you. All of us here today, if we think back in our life, we're here because someone was a witness to us. Someone witnessed to us about Jesus Christ and helped us get connected. For you, it might have been a grandparent who loved Jesus so much that they said, I'm going to take you to church or vacation Bible school. Some of you, it might have been a parent. It might have been a counselor at camp who, who loved you so much and, and through their love, you were ready to hear their message and then one day they told you about Jesus and you received that. I don't know who's been a witness in your life, but I want you to think about that for a second. Maybe it was a coworker. And actually, what I want you to do is I want us to be active. If you have somebody in mind, just turn to the person around you and tell them the name of the person who has been a witness to you for Jesus Christ. If you have somebody in mind, turn, turn to the people next to you. Tell them who has been a witness to you for Jesus Christ. Go. Shout out some names. Who are some names people are saying? Grandma. Youth director. Husband. Parents. Coworker. What was that one? Mom. Yeah. We all have people in our lives, people who have lived out this primary purpose of being witnesses to us. And sometimes it's in small ways and sometimes it's in big ways. 
And a lot of these things are cumulative over time. People have been witnesses to us, and now we're called to go and to be witnesses to other people. And sometimes when we're thinking about being a witness and sharing our faith and living it out, we think that we either do it with words or we either do it with actions. But here's the thing is, Jesus calls us to do it with both. He calls us to show and tell others about himself. Because here's the thing is, if you're telling other people about Jesus and about his great forgiveness and his love and the joy that he gives you, and you are mean and you don't forgive people, and you live like a curmudgeon, guess what? People aren't going to believe a word that you're saying. You know people like that? Amen. Okay, I'm going to amen myself right there. And then there's also on the other side, there's some people who are so great at, at showing other people the love of Jesus, and we show it through compassionate service, through sacrifice, through giving, through loving, and through, through so many other ways, and that's huge. But the thing is, at some point, we also have to give an explanation of our our actions. We have to tell people who is the motivation behind our actions. We have to tell them about Jesus. And so our actions need explanation, and our words need authentication. And so we have to hold these two in tandem. We have to show, and we have to tell other people about Jesus. And that's what this church has been doing since it began, right? Since it began with a small group of people, they were witnesses to other people in this community. They shared the good news of Jesus, and people got excited, and they became a part of this church. And more people shared, and they became a part. More people shared. And that's what we're going to continue to do as we grow together as Harvest Point. So in these final words of Jesus, the first thing we see is our first purpose in life. But the final words of Jesus, they also tell us the places we're called to live out our purpose. The places we're called to live out our purpose. If you look at the verses, he he says this, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I have a little graphic here, and this graphic is actually... Um, It kind of displays in a graphical form these different places because they're concentric circles. And so you see it starts with Jerusalem, it expands into Judea and Samaria, and then it goes all the way to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus, he starts right where they were. He says, you are to be my witnesses here in Jerusalem. That's where he was speaking to them. And to us, he's saying, look, as a church, you're to be my witnesses right here. Right here. And that's why we do things like Vacation Bible Camp, inviting local kids to come. It's why we do things like serve our neighbors and try to reach out with love to the schools because God has planted us here as a church and He wants us to love the people right around us. For you, that means God has planted you somewhere. He's planted you in your family, in your workplace, in your sphere of influence. That's your Jerusalem and He's calling you to be a witness right there with those who are directly around you. But he doesn't stop there, he keeps going. He says, you are to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then he says, Judea. And Judea is simply the region around them. It would be like the state or the region for us. It would be Georgia or the southeast. And so as followers of Jesus, we're called to be witnesses just beyond our local places here. We're called to be witnesses to the homeless and other people in Atlanta. 
We're called to be witnesses to others in the Southeast. When there's disasters, we as a denomination and as individuals oftentimes go and serve other people with the love of Christ because God has called us to go to our Judea. And then it's interesting here that he throws in Samaria. It's kind of the outlier in these terms because Samaria for the Jewish people was somewhere that they avoided at all costs. If you look at a map in your Bible, you'll kind of see Samaria. And what the Jewish people did is, instead of going through it, they would go around it. They would go around it because they didn't like Samaritans. And guess what? Samaritans didn't like them either. There was bad blood between them. It was historic. They had different views on the Messiah, different views on Scripture, different views on Jerusalem, and they had been at war with each other in the past. And and they didn't like each other and they didn't get along. And here Jesus says, you are to be my witnesses even there. Don't go around them. Go through them and be my witnesses to people who aren't like you, to people who don't like you. And he's saying the same thing for us. He's saying you don't get an out about who you are called to be a witness to. Just because they're your ex-spouse, that doesn't mean that you don't have to share the love of Jesus with them. Just because it's that coworker who comes to your cubicle and annoys you every single day at work, you're not excused from sharing the love of Jesus with them. Your neighbors who you might not get along with, your, your family members, your crazy uncle, Jesus doesn't give it out. He says you are called to all places, to all people, because salvation is for everyone. And so we're called to go to Samaria as well. And then finally he says, you are to go to the ends of the earth. You're to go to the ends of the earth. And now this is a lot of times where I get a lot of questions as a pastor. Because people will say, Pastor, I don't know why we send a youth team to Nicaragua. Because there's a lot of hungry people here in Henry County. And then people will say, Pastor, I don't know why we're collecting cereal for people in Henry County. We have food banks. We have government safety support. They have WIC. These kids in Nicaragua and other places, they don't have money. They don't have government support systems. They don't have anywhere else to go. And Jesus here, he busts up those questions. He says it's not about local missions versus global missions. It's not either or. Here in this passage, he's telling us it's both and. You need to serve the people who are here right in front of you. And you need to serve the people at the ends of the earth. And yeah, we're we're as a church, we're called to discern how we're going to serve in what ways, with what resources. But he's not giving us an out here. He's saying you're to serve all. All people, near, far, near to me, far from me, people who are in physical poverty, people who are in spiritual poverty, you are called to be my witnesses to all people. And that's what the early church did from its earliest days. It started in Jerusalem. And they were faithful there and the message began to spread. And it continued to spread. And it continued to spread. And we're still a part of that movement today. We're here because people were witnesses 
to us, and we're called to do the same thing today. And so we know our purpose. We know the places where to live it out. And then we find one final thing in this passage. We come across a caveat. A caveat of sorts is Jesus basically tells us that you can't do any of this on your own. You can't do any of this on your own. And in the final words of Jesus, he reveals to us the power that we need to live out our purpose. And I've seen people try to serve as witnesses and try to live out this purpose without the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's what happens. People get discouraged. They begin to despair and they quit. Because if you don't have the Holy Spirit working in you, empowering you for this mission that God has given you, when someone rolls up to the food bank in a Mercedes Benz and asks for some food, bitterness is going to grow inside of you. When you witness to a coworker day after day for years, and then you finally muster up the courage to invite them to church, and they say, no, church is for crazy people. If you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, you're going to quit and never ask them again. If you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, when you're going and you're serving people in poverty and you continue to see cycles of poverty, you'll just despair and you'll give up. Jesus is telling us the power you need is the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you have that power working and living in you, then you can do things like I did. Then you can go feed the hungry. You can heal the sick. You can see miracles happen. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available to you and to me. The power of the Holy Spirit, it comes and resides in us when we become Christians, but it's not a one-time deal. This is a daily act of surrender. It's a daily act of surrender and a daily invitation to God saying, God, send the Holy Spirit to fill me. And God fills us as we pray that prayer. God fills us as we read His Word. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. As we gather together in groups like the Prime Timers, God's Holy Spirit comes to us. As we share in the sacrament of Holy Communion like we're going to do this morning, the Holy Spirit comes to us. We need that power to live out our purpose because we cannot do it on our own. And if you want to get burned out in ministry, that's the quickest way. We need that power. And when we have that power that's available to us simply by asking, and when we're living out our purpose in all the places that God has called us to, that's when we'll begin to see radical stories of transformation. We'll begin to see lives changed. We'll begin to see people like Diego transformed. Now, Diego is a kid I met a few years ago in Central America. This is him right here eating a tortilla and some black beans. Diego is a kid, and he's a curious kid, and he's like me, right? He has a lot of questions growing up. A lot of kids do. But Diego's questions are a little different than the questions I asked when I was growing up. 
Diego's questions are questions like, I wonder where my next meal will come from. I wonder if I'll have to move away from my family one day so that I can find work. I wonder if people really, truly know me and love me. You see, Diego, he, he grew up and is growing up in Guatemala, a country in Central America, much like Nicaragua. It's a country which has been ravaged by civil war in decades past. A country in which a generation of men has been killed. A lot of times family members have to move to different cities so that they can send money home to feed kids like him. It's, it's a country in which gangs love children like Diego. They love them because they're ripe. Because they're looking for a sense of purpose. They're looking to go different places beyond their local city. They're looking for power and the gangs can offer it to them with weapons. But thanks be to God, because Christians are living out their purpose of being witnesses, Diego has answers to his questions. Because Christians locally there are part of a ministry that helps feed him every day, he can say, yes, I'm going to have food. Because local mission teams from the United States help fund a teacher's salary at his after-school program, he can say, yes, I'm going to have an education and have opportunities for my family when I grow up. Because he's part of a Bible study in this after-school program that the church has founded, he can say, yes, God knows me and God loves me. His life has been transformed because people have been living out their purpose. And when we begin to do that, we'll see stories like his over and over. Here, we'll see them in Georgia, and we'll see them in beyond, in the ends of the earth. But here's the reality. God's not calling most of you to go to Guatemala or Nicaragua today. He might in the future. And if he is, I'd love to talk with you about how to serve there. He's not calling most of us to go there right now. But what he is calling all of us to do right now is to be witnesses to the people who are right in front of us. To be witnesses in concrete ways, in concrete places like your home, in your workplace, on the sports field, at the swimming pool. God is calling us to be witnesses. And this morning as we share in communion, I want you to come with an open heart, open hands, welcoming the Holy Spirit to work within you. And I also want you to come asking this question. Who can I be a witness to today? And I want to invite you after you've received to simply dwell on that question. Who can I be a witness to today. Ask God to reveal someone to you. Because while He wants us to be witnesses everywhere to all people, He's also calling us to concrete people today. Let us pray. God, we thank You for Your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we know that you created this world 
and you created it good, and then we turned our backs on you. We said, God, we're going to do our own thing. We, we turned from you and we tried to do things on our own. And God, when our love failed, we're thankful that your love did not fail. We're thankful that in the fullness of time, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come to feed the hungry, to heal the sick, to eat with sinners, to show us how to live. And we're thankful that through his suffering, through his death and his resurrection, that we can have new life, that we can have a purpose that we can have salvation, God, and we thank you that you're calling us to be witnesses to that good news to other people. And so, God, today as we share in Holy Communion together, we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us and on these gifts before us. God, make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be the body of Christ in this world that we might be your hands and your feet showing other people your love and your grace and your mercy. God, it's easy to look around, to look around here, to look around the world, to turn on the news and feel like we're all so different from each other, that we're all so polarized. But God, as we come to the table this morning, help us to know that we are all in need of your grace. We are all in need of your Holy Spirit and we pray that that grace and that spirit would come to us as we share and that as we go out from this place that it would spread. God, we thank you for your great love. And we ask that you would transform us today through this meal. Amen. This time the kids are going to come in and they're going to find parents and sit with them so if you have a kid if you'll just be on the lookout for them and we're going to share in this bread and in this juice and many of you know the story that on the night before he gave himself for us Christ took bread 